This morning with um, a traditional Easter greeting. I'm going to say he has risen and you're going to reply with he has risen indeed. So church, he is risen. Awesome. That's the best news. It's the great news. It's the good news that we're here to celebrate this morning. So I'm Pastor Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit, and it's my privilege this morning to get to tell you, welcome home. Whether you've been here a uh, hundred times or this is your very first Sunday, we're very happy that you to- chose to come and join us this morning. Uh, we want this to be a place where you can feel at home, no matter where you find yourself in your spiritual journey. Whether you're like Yes, I'm all about this. I've been waiting. I'm excited to celebrate Jesus and Easter this morning. Or you're like, you know what? I don't really exactly know how Jesus fits into my life yet. That's absolutely fine. We're just happy that you're here, and we hope that you feel loved and welcome here. Um, Today is Easter, and we are excited to celebrate that. And so we're going to to kick that off here, and we're going to celebrate that Jesus has indeed risen. If you would, just join with me in a short prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that you sent your Son to die and then to rise, Lord, that you have come into the world to save the world and not condemn it, that you offer freedom and forgiveness to all who would come to know you, that grace is extended to each and every single one of us in this room. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enliven our hearts with joy this morning, that you would fill our mouths with praise. Lord, might all of this be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord, this morning we celebrate a death. We celebrate the death of death. That death no longer has hold on those who trust in Jesus Christ for their, for their life. Lord, so in a way today we celebrate the death of death so that we might celebrate the life of Jesus Christ. And not only the life of Jesus Christ himself, but the light of Christ in us by faith. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, wherever we find ourselves, however we have come into this place, for whatever reason that we are here. Lord, that the truth of your word, that the power of your Holy Spirit would speak deeply into every part of who we are, that we may hear your voice this morning, and that we may respond with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Thank you, Ben. Uh, my name is Cameron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. Um, if this is your first time visiting with us this morning, get used to this right here. Uh, because the only ever time that you'll see me in a suit again is either if I'm marrying you, I'm burying you, or next Easter. That's the only time you get a suit out of me. Um, <clears throat> I'm already eager to get home and get it off, take it off. Uh, Uh, but all, all kidding aside, we welcome you here uh, this morning. It's good, to, uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to celebrate this morning. Uh, we are indeed going to celebrate. Um, but I want to get right to the point this morning. Um, and the main point among 
all others and probably above all other points this morning, and not just this morning, uh, but the main point um, far exceeding any other point that we could possibly make uh, as we come to church, as we hear from the Word, as we hear the Gospel preached, is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the central belief of the Christian faith and the foundation upon which all other things in faith are built. There, there, is, there, is, no, there is no other greater truth. There is, no, there is no higher truth. There is no more significant truth. that you, If you are going to build a life of faith, if you are going to build a life at all, there is no greater truth than the truth that we come to celebrate on Easter Sunday, which is that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. Hope that we're going to get into a, uh, we can talk about that even a little bit more and a little bit deeper uh, this morning. But the Apostle Paul, um, he, he wrote to kind of like confirm this truth. The truth that at the foundation of all things that we believe or possibly could believe is the resurrection of Jesus. He wrote to, um, he wrote to a group, group of believers called the Corinthians. They're from a little city in Corinth, which is um, in the Mediterranean area. And it was a port city. And Paul had gone and he had planted several churches there. But even in, even in Paul's absence from these churches, he would regularly write them letters. And the purposes of these letters were oftentimes... They had various reasons. But we, we see most of these letters in what we call now our New Testament. Letters like Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Corinthians and the Thessalonians and stuff like that. Those were all correspondence that Paul, this leader, this apostle of the early church, would write these churches that are around uh, the Mediterranean area. And over the course of these correspondences with them, he offered them oftentimes words of encouragement. Sometimes he would offer them words of instruction. And sometimes he would offer them words of correction because they needed correcting. Maybe they had gone... Uh, they had they had maybe stepped off the path of what he had taught them and what they had initially believed. Now, for the Corinthian church, somewhere in the midst of their faith development, uh, pockets of believers had come to a place of doubting that the resurrection of the dead is possible at all. Uh, aside from it being possible in a miraculous work, for instance, with Lazarus, or a miraculous work with say, for instance, Jesus Himself raising from the dead, they were just out to say, we don't think that resurrection happens even, even in those cases, even in the most miraculous cases, even when, even when we would say like God Himself did it. Now, Paul's correction and word to them was clear in the letter to the Corinthians. He said essentially that we must hold firm to the belief that the resurrection is possible as a miraculous work of God. A miraculous work of God. Something that, something that is not natural or is supernatural by definition. Meaning that when we, when we look at something like the resurrection and we try to examine it in any type of logical framework that you and I would examine any other thing ever in the history of things, that it would naturally not make sense. People don't come back from being dead. His encouragement to them, his instruction to them, his correction to them, was not in an effort to get them to believe 
one single spiritual principle or to try and get them to believe in something that had um, little consequence for the rest of their life and faith. He wasn't making an argument about something that didn't matter, about something that was secondary in nature, like whether or not your pastor should wear a suit every Sunday, right? It wasn't something small like that. It was something much more significant than that. Uh, Paul says this instead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, what is this, what is this gospel that Paul proposed to preach? And that was the foundation or the centrality of all of the rest of their faith. What is the thing that they must stand firm in, or else all of the rest of their faith is in vain, is practiced without purpose? and without meaning. He goes on to tell them exactly what that gospel is. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and then He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That He appeared to Peter and then He appeared to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to 500 others at the same time. And then He appeared to James then to all the apostles, and then last to me, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's main focus, his main point here, is that the centrality of Jesus' atoning work on the cross and the resurrection of Him from the dead is the thing upon which all other faith proclamations or principles or beliefs are built upon. You take that out, you kick out not just one leg of a table, you kick out all four legs of the table of our faith. That there is no Christian faith. There is no um, Christian practice without the firm belief in both the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of His physical body from the dead. It was not the miracles of Jesus that, fo- that Paul focused on in this moment. It was not the teaching of Jesus. It was not his relationships with his disciples or his followers. Paul didn't just hit the high points of Jesus' ministry like we often talk about the high points of Jesus' ministry. The time that he did this miracle or that healing or the Sermon on the Mount, that teaching, that was pretty, that was pretty cool, right? That was pretty, that was pretty big. But Paul hit right to the point. That the, that, that the thing that we must stand firmly upon as the foundation of our faith is the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Him from the grave. He goes on to say this at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, both in verse 14 and in verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised. Our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found 
to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Jesus from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. This is the truth that we come to celebrate this morning. For some, this may be a truth that has resonated deep within our hearts for, I don't know, as long as you've been following Jesus. For others, I understand that this may be the first time that you've ever heard anything like this at all. You may have heard Jesus' name. You may have heard what He's about. You may have heard that He was a great teacher. That He proposed the moral ethic of love, right? Loving God the Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And I would propose that yes, you are absolutely correct that God is a God of love expressed to us in the life of Jesus Christ. But the centrality of the faith, the centrality of all who Jesus is and what He comes to do and what He claims to do is wrapped up in these two singular things that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised Him back from the grave in victory over sin, not so that you could just look upon it and say, wow, that's a nice story, but that you too could experience the same life of resurrection that Jesus experienced. This is the central thing. I mean, my brothers and sisters, my old and new friends here in the room, hear these words and let them echo in the chambers of your hearts from this day until the very last. Jesus Christ died so that your sins would be forgiven and you could be reconciled to God the Father. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, right? He says that while we were still sinners, in the depth of our sin, in the depth of our brokenness, in the depth of all that separates us from God, that Christ died for us. That Jesus was laid in a tomb and that three days later through the power of the Holy Spirit He was resurrected back to life in, a, in the victorious display that not even death, which is the final of all final things for all human beings, that not even death could hold the power of God. But Jesus did not just let that reality or that truth or that occurrence, that resurrection remain secret or quiet, right? You often hear people talk about how, well, my faith in Jesus is very, um, it's a very private thing, right? I don't, I don't talk about it at all, right? Um, and... Um, and what, what, what I want to say is that we should, we should not confuse the words private uh, with the word personal, right? That, that my faith in Jesus Christ is very personal to me, right? That Christ has delivered me from my sin, that Christ has set me free from brokenness and hopelessness and addiction and shame and anxiety, that Christ has set me free from the power of all of those things. But those things are not private to me at all. If anything, they are the thing that I want to be the megaphone of my life. It is deeply, deeply personal to me, but private has nothing to do with what Jesus has done in our life because the very first thing that Jesus did when he resurrected from the grave was he went and, got and, and showed himself to others. Hey, look, 
Death no longer has a hold on me. Death no longer has a hold on you. That which I said I was going to do, I did it. He began to appear to those around him. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about. Without all of this, without the atoning work of Jesus for our sins, without the resurrection of His body from the grave, that that our faith, everything upon which we could build our faith is futile. we We are still in our sin. No amount of spiritual principles that we apply to our life, no amount of moral or good or ethical living, no amount of good deeds or loving thoughts can be for you and I what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is. All of those things are built upon a foundation of sand if the foundation is not the resurrection of Jesus. Once Paul got this kind of into his heart, he began to to say essentially the same thing. Everywhere that he would go, to every single person that he would meet, he would proclaim that, hey, look, I have lost all things in my life so that I may have gained Christ. That has become my, 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 my chief and my sole aim, my chief and my sole target. He says in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, he says this. He says, look, whatever was to my profit, whatever was good about me, whatever I had gained, whatever... Whatever was notable and noble about me and Paul had a lot to brag about. I now consider all of those things a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. What more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Is that anyone else's testimony in the room? Right? Like, I consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Like, all of the things that mattered before, all of the things that I built my life on before, all of the things that were important, every foundation of my life that I had, I now consider that a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge and faith of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says, I consider them rubbish, garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, in some ways, um, it would be fair to say, well, um, easy for you to say. (laughs) Easy for you to say, right? You're following Jesus already. You have expressed faith. You get it. You feel it. You've experienced it. You've walked that life. You don't know where I have been. You don't know what I am going through. You don't know what's running through my mind right now. 
You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I have done. It's easy for you to believe this, Cameron. It's not so easy for me to believe this. Um, listen, if you're familiar with Conduit at all, you will know this already. If you're not familiar, um, I'll just tell you that uh, we tend not to traffic here in um, spiritual placation or cliche or dishonesty. Um, what I think is valuable in the way that we grow in our, in our faith in Jesus and, the, and when we're following Jesus is to be honest about the things that we are struggling with and even the questions that we have or wherever we are in our relationship or in our, in our, in our path with Jesus to simply name them. Like, uh, we, I believe that we serve a God that's big enough to hold every question, every doubt, every bit of disbelief that we have, every piece of brokenness or hopelessness, every thought, every word that we have. Um, God is big enough. The, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level enough for us all to stand there and allow Him to speak to us. And if I'm honest with myself and you're honest with yourself, I think we could all come to the point like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never actually seen someone be resurrected from the dead before. I've seen a few people be brought back from like near death, medical emergencies and CPRs, but, but, but never like we're talking about here in the Gospel story. I mean, like we're talking about the, the, re the realization, right? that three days had occurred before the moment of death with Jesus and the time in which Mary and the other women went to the tomb and found it empty, right, is kind of like the Bible's way of putting an exclamation point on the reality of Jesus' death, right? He was not just one day dead or two day dead. He was three day dead. He was dead, dead, dead. He was as dead as it gets. Dead as a doornail would be the description here. He was gone. And let's be honest, that's not particularly easy for any of us to even like logically apprehend or understand or believe. It's not. I asked myself the question when I was kind of wrestling with this this week is like, well, who, who in the world do I think would have been the people that would have believed that Jesus was actually resurrected from the grave with as little doubt as possible. Who would have been the ones who were like, oh yeah, totally believe it, totally get it, no problem whatsoever. I mean, I think logically, it would have been the people that, he, that were following him around in his life, right? Particularly at the end of his life. And they were very close to him, and they were seeing him, by all accounts in the Gospels, do all of these other really incredible, miraculous things. They saw him, for instance, in the Gospel of John, raise Lazarus from the grave. They saw him feed thousands and thousands of people with just the, 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 the meal that a small boy offered to them, multiplying the fish and loaves. He saw, they saw um, him, him heal people of... Of, of sickness and disease and infirmity and take away their blindness and take away their ability to speak. They saw him cast demons out of those. They saw him teach with authority in the religious places and in front of the religious leaders. If anyone 
in their right mind was going to believe that Jesus actually resurrected from the grave, it was going to be these people who had seen him do all these other miracles for the last three years of his life and theirs. I mean, and for goodness sakes, Jesus had told them, right? Jesus literally told them time and time again, hey, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry. Are you listening? Don't worry. And what did they do? They worried. Do not be afraid. And what did they do? They were afraid, right? Trust and believe in me. And what did they do? They ran and hid in disbelief, right? So here's all of these people who we would expect by all accounts would put their faith fully and totally in him and believe what he said time and time again. And in the moment where it all counted, it's like they had, like talking to my kids. Mary showed up to the tomb that morning to anoint Jesus. This is really interesting, right? Mary showed up to the tomb to anoint the, a dead body. She gathered all the things that she needed because she expected to go to the tomb and find that all of the times that Jesus said he was going to resurrect from the dead in three days, right? You think, oh, Mary's like, oh, it's the third day. I guess I'll go and see Jesus. No, she gathered everything to go and anoint his dead body. You would think that as she found the tomb to be empty this morning, that she would snap back to the memories of Jesus saying that this exact thing would happen. But what happened? We, well, we have two, two accounts here that tell us a little bit about it. In Luke chapter 24, verses 9 through 11, um, Mary saw that the tomb was empty, and so she took off running to go and tell the others. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Hey, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. What was the disciples' uh, response? But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Another account of the Gospel, Mark's account, Mark chapter 16, says essentially the same thing. It says, she went, Mary, and told those who had been with Jesus who were mourning and weeping, right? If they were in a state of perpetual belief that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do, I don't think that they would have been mourning and weeping. They probably would have been clapping and celebrating. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. So if even those who were closest to Jesus could not fathom with belief that he has resurrected from the grave, we might find ourselves in a spot of familiarity with them, maybe be a little bit more gentle in our own faith journey as we struggle with disbelief often. I mean, like, wow, the people who literally saw him raise someone from the dead last week, right? are now sitting in disbelief that this thing could even possibly happen. See, even those who were closest to Jesus in his life had a difficult time believing the, and thought that Mary was speaking nonsense when she came to share with them that the tomb had been empty. 
It wasn't until they came and saw for themselves that belief began to take root in them. It's not that they, call, they, went, they went to the empty tomb, saw that the tomb was empty, and then their, their belief and their faith was like powered up to 100 at that point. They were still in a state of like, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know, I don't, I don't have any idea what could possibly happen. Who took the body of Jesus? In John chapter 20, verse 8, we say, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside, found it presumably to be empty once again. He saw and he believed. Now for others, it required that they see Jesus standing right in front of them. This disciple went in the empty tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there, and it was at that moment that a seed of belief was planted within him. Others needed a little bit more evidence in order to express belief and faith that Jesus could possibly be resurrected from the de um, dead. We, of course, have the classic story of Thomas, right? who we like to call Doubting Thomas. I always like to call him Realistic Thomas because I think he's probably pretty realistic. Thomas wanted to see Jesus and put his fingers in the wounds of Jesus' body. We see this account in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I want to be clear about something because Jesus was clear about something. That there is blessing, increased blessing, I think we could even be safe to say, when there is belief without sight. When, when, we have, when we have chosen to express faith and belief when we have not seen. But he is also not above, obviously, or beyond showing himself so that those struggling with belief could be encouraged. He could have left Thomas just in a state of perpetual unbelief or disbelief. Just, just hey, just take, take the word of the other ones that I already appeared to. But in an act of grace, right, he met Thomas at his point of disbelief. He didn't, Jesus wasn't like, no, you need to express belief in me and then come find me and then we can work something out. Jesus was gentle with Thomas's belief, so much so that he gave Thomas what he needed in order to, to take, for Thomas to take the next step in belief on who Jesus was and what he came to do. One of the main questions that I would like to uh, bring to us this morning, bring to you this morning, is this. What stage or what position of unbelief 
is Jesus calling you out of this morning? Maybe, um, maybe you're here and you've been walking with Jesus in your life for a really, really long time. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for so long that it's become so normal and so familiar that you, you can perceive that you've even lost a little, little sense of awe. You've lost, you've lost your sense of apprehension at the grandeur and the holiness and the glory of God Himself. Maybe you've heard the Easter story so many times that you no longer even blink at what an actual miracle of the resurrection is and how the offer of new life to you that is offered in the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Maybe, maybe your unbelief is one that is masked with a sense of familiarity that has bred a sense of even somewhat contempt for the continued miracles that Jesus wants to display in you and for you. It has become so normal to you that it is no longer miraculous. It's just a story. Maybe you've been, I guess you could call it proverbially, shaking hands cordially with Jesus but keeping him at a Heisman um, distance, right? You've looked a little bit. You may have, uh, you may have window shopped. You've, uh, you've appreciated. You've appreciated Jesus. You've appreciated the things of faith, but you've, but you've, never, you've never embraced. You maybe mix in a little bit of Jesus ethic with your life here, uh, a little love your neighbor there, uh, but you're still really just dipping your toe in the water because full submersion into relationship with Jesus just sounds like it costs a little too much of the stuff that you're not ready or willing to give up at this point. Maybe your stage of unbelief is just the unknown. What will this cost? What actually will happen when I, when I begin to express faith and belief in Jesus even if a little bit? What if life changes for me? Or even worse, what if I take a step of belief and life doesn't change? Maybe the stage of your unbelief is just you're honest with yourself, we're honest with each other, we're honest with everyone in the room. Maybe your stage of unbelief is just open disregard. <laughs> Maybe uh, I've been doing this for long enough, right? And I know enough people, right, to know that this could is possibly the reality. Um, maybe you got dragged here this morning. Maybe you got dragged here this morning proverbially or actually, I don't know, kicking and screaming against your will. But you did it to make someone else happy or to satisfy a holiday obligation or something else in between. Not making eye contact with anyone in the room, right? 
Maybe you're here wanting really nothing to do with Jesus or anything associated with church at all. Like the women who approached the tomb on that morning long ago, the only thing that you expected to find when you came here this morning was a dead and lifeless God that had no bearing on your life whatsoever. Here's the really tremendous thing. Is that whatever stage of belief that you find yourself in this morning, and we are all in some stage of unbelief or belief, Jesus invites you to take one step closer to Him so that He can show you who He really and truly is. Not who you have been told that He is, not who you think that He is, not even who you necessarily want Him to be, but who He actually is. Jesus invites you to step closer to Him even if just by a step. The stone that covered over the entrance of the tomb that held Jesus was rolled away from the opening. The classic line goes, that the stone was rolled away from the opening not because Jesus needed a way out of the tomb, but so that you and I and all of those expressing disbelief would have a way to get inside of the tomb to see that it was truly empty, to see that Jesus was truly who He said He was, did what He said He was going to do, and will continue to do what He said He was going to do. So that we could see with our own eyes. We could touch with our own hands. We could hear with our own ears what Mary and the other women heard, saw, and touched that morning. He is not here. He is risen. See, we're often told that we must, we must take these like big, giant leaps of faith in order to see massive revelations of God. Big big leap, right? Big high-rise diving board, running start with all your might, jump as far as you possibly can, giant leap of faith. Now listen, I'm certainly not going to stand up here this morning and tell you to not take a giant leap of faith. God certainly is going to honor that. But I will tell you that I believe that Jesus invites us all to even small steps and small measures of faith and that when we take one step towards Him, He takes five steps towards us. That as, that as our heart and our life begins to seek after Seek after Him, right? He receives that as an invitation to continuously reveal Himself to us. That as we begin to express increasing belief, increasing faith, increasing desire to know Him for who He really truly is and what He really truly desires to do, that He multiplies and grows our faith from a very small seed into a great and giant tree. 
Because no matter what stage of unbelief you find yourself in this morning, Jesus offers to show and reveal Himself to you. Even if you're in the stage of open disregard. And if you have faith to believe this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is indeed a miracle upon which we can build our lives, I want to propose to you that it's not really the only miracle that is associated with Easter or the Easter season or the Easter life. This series that we've been in, the sermon series that we have been preaching on, we've, we've named it Easter People. Right? We've been focusing on the people of the Easter story, but also in maybe a little bit of a play on words, we've been, we've been focusing on the truth that, um, that runs through this reality. That, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our stories are, are rewritten as well. That Easter people is those who express faith and belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and we, we then become identified, not through our, the life in our flesh, but the, the life that we live in the reality that the resurrection has changed everything for us. One of the most significant miracles that comes out of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus is that the same resurrection that He experienced is offered to us as well. You see, this could be just a neat point in a really magical story. If it was only about, hey, look at what God did in Jesus. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's really cool. But what does it matter? It matters because time and time and time and time again through Scripture. Scripture Scripture continuously proclaims that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead makes the path clear for you and I to experience the same resurrection from the dead and life given to us through Jesus. You see, on Good Friday, this past Friday, we celebrated here and, and, and we proclaimed that through the work of Jesus on the cross, the power of sin has been defeated. Forgiveness is offered to us as we express faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. The breaking of His body, the shedding of His blood, the completed atoning work of Jesus makes his, his, our sin is borne by Him on the cross and now we may be forgiven. Now on Easter today, we celebrate a connected but different spiritual reality. Today we celebrate that what the world thought was final in the death of Jesus, God knew was the stage for the miracle of resurrection. Jesus won victory over sin on the cross and victory over death in the resurrection and the same victory, victory that was His can now be ours through faith in Him. We can have victory over our sin through the forgiveness offered to us in the cross. And we can have victory over death 
by the victory offered to us through the resurrection. Both of the things that Jesus accomplished, He did not accomplish solely for His own good, but for our good. All of this is, me- is offered to us as a measure and expression of God's love. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by His grace that you have been saved. He continues to go on and say it like this in Romans chapter 6. One of the greatest explanations of our unity with Christ in both His death and His resurrection. He says this, Romans chapter 6, verses 4-7. through We were therefore, you and I, when we express faith in Jesus Christ, when we take one step forward in belief towards Him, when we trust Him for all that we are and all that we will be, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Paul here, Paul here describes the, uh, the, the Christian act or practice of baptism. And if you could picture with me here, I'm, I'm assuming that you all have at least some mental picture or understanding of what baptism is or what it looks like, right? Maybe someone's standing in a pool or a pond or a river. And they're standing there next to a pastor or someone who is, you know, spiritually significant leading them in their life, right? And the pastor maybe is standing next to them and they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And they lean back and they are placed underneath the water fully. And we hold them there for three days. Like just like Jesus was laid in the grave for three days, right? We're we're signifying, we're symbolizing, we're we're practicing the death of sin within us by our faith and unity with Jesus Christ. We're standing there in a moment of saying, I I express faith in Jesus Christ. I want to unite myself with him in his death. We are therefore buried with Him through baptism into death. We get laid into the grave, right? And then we are brought up out of the water in the same way in which Jesus came up out of the grave. We were dead in our sin. Now we are alive through Jesus Christ. We are resurrected. And so what Paul says here is like, when we unite ourselves with the death of Jesus Christ, putting 
the life of sin to death, we are then united with Jesus in the same way in his resurrection. And the same life that was given to Jesus by the Spirit of God is given to us when we express faith and belief in him. And so the death of Jesus Christ is for the forgiveness of your sins, not his. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so that you may be offered life as well. There is no greater truth than this. There is no greater foundation upon which you can build your life than on the offering of Jesus Christ Himself to you. Whatever place or stage of unbelief, disbelief, following Jesus for a long time belief, cordially shaking hands with Jesus but not committing belief, open disregard for Jesus and all that there is for the Christian faith type of belief, whatever it is, whatever place of belief that you find yourself in this morning, the tomb of Jesus Christ remains empty so that you can go in to see that He is alive. That He desires that you would know Him for who He truly is and what He truly desires to do in you and for you. So that you may experience, maybe for the first time ever, the lifting of the burden and weight of sin that you have carried with you throughout all of your life and you can't figure out why something is missing. Something is heavy. Something is always so broken, hopeless, lost, abandoned, confused about who you are. We are lost until we find our life in Him. Jesus Christ invites you to know Him this morning. Maybe for the first time, or maybe in a reapprehension of the glory and wonder of the resurrection that is offered to you as a gift for your own life. We're going to invite um, here in just a moment the band to come um, back up. We also have. Um, small choir of people who are going to come up and lead us in uh, lead us in our last few songs of worship this morning uh, but I also want I also want to make this very very clear right? is that the gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the resurrection of your body so that you might know and live with him through all eternity is offered to you now.
this morning. If you are standing in a place of like I have been in just perpetual disbelief, but I hear the voice of the Lord calling to me, I, I, I hear, I feel, I know something inside of me is moving me to respond in belief this morning in a way that I have not ever responded before. Right? Do not harden your heart to the voice of the Lord that's speaking into you this morning. Well, I don't know if it's really Him. It's Him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Him. It is. It's, ah, you know, it could be. Nope, it's not. Mm-mm. Nope. It couldn't be. And the reason I know that it couldn't be is because we've been praying for a really long time that it would be the thing that we say it actually is right now. Which is that the reason that you are here, even if you're here just because, hey man, I just came so like my aunt would let me have ham afterwards. <laughs> Period. Right? No, that's the reason that you needed to get here, but that's not the reason that God is using for you to be here. Right? There was a much bigger reason. A much bigger reason. That God is calling you to belief this morning. Now, if you are like, hey, okay, yeah, I get it. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what that means. Right? We believe that um, we, we believe that actually taking a physical act of demonstrating belief is incredibly important for. For, for you as you follow Jesus. And so what I'm going to say is that as a pastor, one of the pastors, the pastor standing before you this morning, that if you are ready to take a step towards Jesus in belief this morning, I'm going to be down here, down front here, throughout the rest of the service, throughout all of the songs, throughout the rest of the morning. Pastor Luke will be here as well. We would love an opportunity to pray for you and to pray over you that whatever ever step of belief you need to take towards Jesus, that He would meet you in a significant and powerful way and show you who He really, truly is. And we will partner with you as, as, as you come to hear and know the voice of the Lord. Let me pray for us as the band and the uh, choir come forward. And then we'll offer the altar up, here, up front here. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, You know, uh, you know whose are yours. You know, Lord, who you have been marking, looking at, speaking to this entire morning. You know the fear that exists. You know the apprehension. You know the doubt. And you know the disbelief. 
Father, I pray that in an expression and overflow of Your grace, you would, give, you would give us boldness to believe beyond a place than we have ever believed before. That You would give us boldness to commit past a place than we have ever committed before. That if we openly have disregarded anything and everything that has to do with You, Lord, that You would break through the hardness and crust of our lives, Lord, so that we might know You and the immensity of Your grace for us. That even while we were yet sinners, that Jesus Christ has died for us. If we have found ourselves, Lord, in a place of just kind of cordially shaking hands with the things of God, but never having the courage or the understanding or the place or opportunity to fully jump in, Father, I pray that You would surround us with such a cloud of people this morning to encourage and love us into that decision, Lord, that it would become one of joy and celebration and ease. Lord, and if we are in a place of unbelief or disbelief that is attached to our familiarity with the things of God, with the stories of Scripture, where we have lost our awe, we have lost, we have lost our faith that You do miracles even now in this day and in this place, Father. Lord, I pray that You would re-grab our heart, shake us out of our apathy, that we might see the glory and holiness of Your resurrected Son, Jesus, not just then, but for us now. And that all that has since been put to, has been dead in our lives will be made alive by faith. Father, move in this place now and let Your Holy Spirit hover over these people that they might know the significance and immensity of Your love for them in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God has placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Conduit, hear the good news. Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a fantastic Easter. You are loved. Thank you.